What I'm going to share today really does a lot of some things I learned from Chris and some things Chris said to me at different times. I uh, really dovetails with what is being shared uh, today. Uh, and so I'll come back to that. But uh, it's it's always tough when, um, as when the family and I were talking on Friday, there's we're designed to be creatures, people that live for eternity, right? And because of our sinful nature, we uh, pass away in this life. And when that happens, and it just sends us for a loop because it uh, it's tough for us to think that's that, yeah, that's not what I that's not what's supposed to happen. That's not what is supposed to be going on in my uh, with my friend. No, he's there, my family member, he's there, and then he's not. And that's tough. Um, there's no easy way around that. Again, we'll come back to that. But uh, there's a, as we've talked about last week, I'll talk about it today and will for the next few weeks, um, there's, we're going to go into a process to select some additional elders, Lord willing, for the church here. There is, um, uh, as we have uh, did this in 2018, and so we spent a lot of time going through it in 2018. We're going to we're going to abbreviate the process this time and not go back through all of it. But uh, the next few weeks, I'm going to spend some time talking about godly qualities from Timothy and Titus. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, there's a list, some lists of qualities that talk about what type of people you look for when churches appoint elders. Now, these qualities, and this is what's important for us to remember, these qualities aren't just for a few people. It's not a situation where, okay, there's a few people that have these sort of qualities that are out there, and no one else needs to aspire to those qualities whatsoever. And so there's a clergy class, and then there's the normal class, like all the rest of us. It doesn't work that way. Because in God's church, all of us are to be people that strive to have these qualities evident in our lives, and to look like this more and more. And, um, And what it means is, God's Spirit is working inside of us to transform us to look like these sort of things that Paul is going to share with both Timothy and Titus. So let's go ahead and go there in 1 Timothy to start with. Actually, I ask you guys to turn there, and I didn't myself, so I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read these qualities and in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then I'll fast forward to Titus chapter 1, and I'll read these qualities and we're going to talk about a few of them today. And uh, so starting in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Okay, let's fast forward to Titus just a few pages later. In Titus chapter 1, I'll start reading in verse 5. It says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. 
Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good. And that's what we're going to focus on today. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, we're going to start here today talking about this concept and this idea of what does a person look like who loves what is good? And let that soak in and think about that phrase here for just a second. Love meaning someone who is willing to invest and sacrifice in something. Someone who is really excited that is completely committed to whatever it is. And in this case, someone who loves what is good. I looked up and spent some time with this phrase and what it means historically. And this is a phrase that came up that was well used in both Jewish circles and Gentile circles, basically meaning a char- the characteristic of an especially respected and responsible citizen. Someone who is looked upon in their community, in the society they live in, as, yeah, that's a person that is, that is good and upstanding. That's a person that really does love what is good. And I started thinking back, and I thought about quite a number of people in my life that I've seen that have influenced me, have impacted me, the people that really loved what was good. And there was a name that kept popping up in my head as I was thinking about this. Is I had a fifth-grade teacher named Mr. Van Wilden. And we didn't, at fifth grade, saying Mr. Van Wilden was way too long. That took, that took forever to say that. And so he had learned years and years before to shorten his name to Mr. Van, and the kids called him Mr. Van. And Mr. Van was strict. He was firm, but he was fair. But as a kid, even at that point in time in fifth grade, I could look around and I could see that he was one that really genuinely loved what was good. Mr. Van was very involved in a... uh, And I don't know how this started, and I don't know the story. And I should ask him. uh, Once in a while we connect on Facebook still. But he started working with a, an exchange program. And he and his wife hosted a number of exchange students. But I remember in grade school, there's very few days in grade school that I remember, as in, oh, this is what we did on this particular day. But I remember every year something would happen at McGrade Elementary School that impacted me and really did change my life in some ways. Is we would have... And I can't even remember what it was called, but basically what all the foreign exchange students that were in Libby High School that year, they would come to the elementary school and we would be printed out passports. I remember that's the first place that I heard that name is that my parents didn't travel internationally. I had never traveled internationally, but we were given this, this uh these pieces of paper that had been stapled together that said passport on the front. And every room that we visited, we got to visit and learn about a different country. And I remember these different students that were in the classrooms were from all these different countries, and they would talk about where they came from. And I remember thinking, man, there's people outside of Libby, Montana. Isn't that amazing? I had no idea. And I didn't say I'm exaggerating some. But as time went on, I remember... Some of the things that I learned from those people are things that I took with me because some of the food that we tried, uh, 
some of the stories that we heard about how life was in their country, I just remember that impacting me and making me think, wait a minute, there's a big world out there. And maybe part of that is what brought me overseas um, after I graduated college. But I remember he organized all that. We all knew it. Something else he did in our community, uh, Libby, Montana, was notorious for its Norwegian heritage. And so he, along with some other people, put together uh, what still happens today called Nordic Fest in September. And uh, it's a way for the community to come together and celebrate their Norwegian or Nordic heritage. And I remember there were some guys in high school that made some shirts that said Nordic Fest. And it wasn't real popular in that, but I, just some of the things that you remember. And there was all sorts of things that you could do at Nordic Fest, and you could go and you could see performances, people dressed up as their, in their Norwegian heritage. You could eat Vikings on a stick, which I loved. How many of you know what that is? I don't know if that's real Norwegian food or not, but that's what I, I got. And there was that weird tent that you could walk by where people would eat lutefisk. <laughs> some of you know what that is. Yeah, lutefisk, it's fish that is soaked in lye that... Yeah, how many of you have eaten lutefisk? Okay, some of you have. How many of you liked it? Man, no hands go up after that. So no matter what anybody tells you, be careful of the lutefisk. You know, that can be pretty crazy stuff. But I remember my teacher, Mr. Van, organized that stuff. He did those things because he loved what is good. His name wasn't associated with scandals in the community. His name was always associated with something good that was happening. In fact, I have this in the office that I use here. It's a new scholastic dictionary of American English. Now, if you don't know what this is, the Smithsonian has been after me to try to get this and put this in their, in, in their display. You know, because the, before the Internet was around, this is what we used uh, to be able to to look up the definition of words. But I remember as a fifth grader, he gave me this dictionary and said, Chris, use this well. Expand your vocabulary. That's very important for you to do in life. And I still have this, and I use it occasionally. Most of the time, I just look up things online right now. But he was one that just did what was good. He loved what was good. And that was something that was very, very deeply ingrained in him. Just giving me this. Chris, this is something that's good. This is going to be something that's important for you. Someone who loved what is good. Because he went through life sacrificing things that were important for him personally sometimes and investing in what was most important, which was loving what was good. This is the idea that Paul's trying to get across to Timothy and Titus as he's talking about elders, but just people in general. How to live a godly life. Decide that you're going to be someone that loves what is good. No matter what else, no matter what other options are out there, really dedicate yourselves to saying, I'm going to be one that, is, that loves what is good and is going to promote whatever is good in the world. Now, here's some other qualities that, that I guess we could say fall under the umbrella of loving what is good. For example, being upright. And the definition is being just, fair, or righteous. Someone who is upright uh, is someone who is just, fair, or, or righteous. This comes from the word that uh, was used if a tree was straight or a fence post was vertical up and down instead of being crooked or being twisted in all sorts of different directions. So morally, if a person is twisted in all sorts of different directions, they're not upright. But the idea here is someone who loves what is good 
invest in good, and they become someone who is upright, someone who is upstanding. When you look in Scripture, there's a few different people, and this is just a few of them, but there's, there's more, that are called or referred to as someone who is upright. Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, was called someone who is upright. Someone who people could look at and say, yeah, that guy is, uh, he's, he's really just, he's fair, he's righteous, he wants to do good, he loves what is good. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, these are the parents of John the Baptist. Both of them are called this. They are upright people. Uh, Simeon, this is the man who is in the temple when Jesus, baby Jesus is brought in. And it just says, Scripture says, he is a man that was upright. Uh, you think of uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he is on the Jewish ruling council that put Jesus to death. So he would have been one of the dissenting votes. He's one that took Jesus' body and buried it in his own tomb. But even in the midst of all that corruption, there was somebody there that was the voice of goodness. There was the voice of, you know, I'm one that loves what is good. And he was known by the people around as one who loves what is good. And here's another one. This is a guy who is not a Christian at this point in time when he has called this. In fact, go ahead and, and look in Acts chapter 10. I want to read this. His Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's a Roman military officer that would have been hated by many. And this is what it says about him in Scripture. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So the word devout, same word is, this is a guy who was upright. He prayed to God regularly and his family was generous to people who needed it. That's how he lived. That's how he operated. And that's a part of loving what is good. And so you look at any one of those names up there, you pick one of them and you say, that is someone who went throughout life saying, I'm going to be excited about things that are good. The next word up here is, uh, is the word holy. So it means religiously right as opposed to what is unrighteous or what is polluted. Uh, think about this. How many of you have ever walked along one of the streams here? Let's just pick the Gallatin. You're walking along the Gallatin and you're, you're seeing the edge of the water there. And you look down and you see in the middle of all these rocks that are kind of grayish colored, there's a white rock that just pops when you look down and see it. You know what I'm talking about? You look down and you say, oh, that's beautiful. And then the kids grab it immediately. And you take it home and it goes in your flower bed. And, and that's the idea there, is that rock is different than everything else set apart. It's beautiful when everything else is, is drab. Or if you think about a brick wall, if you took a, a brick wall that was right beside a busy street that um, the cars go by and they kick up mud and sand on that, uh, that wall there. If someone comes along and takes one of those, those bricks and says, okay, I'm going to clean that brick, and, and, and gets out there with a, with a bucket of water and soap and cleans that brick, when you walk by that brick wall, are you going to notice? Oh, yeah, you're going to notice. You're going to say, wait a minute, that brick is clean. It's different than everything else. It stands out. It pops because it is set apart. Or if we took all of us and everybody put on a black shirt or a gray shirt, and then we have someone in the middle that has a white shirt on, that person pops out there. That person is different because they're one that genuinely loves what is good. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go ahead and go back there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
I'm going to read this because this is a, this term is used here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to teach us something that's very important. Before I read this, just think about what kind of things do we do with our hands that can be destructive. You know, we can punch. We can make terrible gestures at each other. We can do all sorts of things that are destructive with our hands, right? We can destroy things. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. And Paul's instructions to Timothy is, teach the men to use their hands for prayer instead of for destruction. See, that's what loving what is good, that's what holiness is all about. Taking what I have, and instead of using it for destruction, using it for stuff that's good, Here's another couple of uh, terms that are used in here that help us understand what it means to love what is good. Someone who is disciplined, having one's emotions, impulses, or desires under control. I know that probably all of us at some point in time get to a place in life where we just seems like whatever we feel like at any moment, it just comes boiling out of us. That's not very good. Because sooner or later, that sinful nature is going to come out and it's going to be destructive for the people around us. But someone who loves what is good has learned to say, nope, just because I feel this way, just because I want to say it right now, does not mean it's the right thing to do because it's going to be hurtful and destructive. So I'm going to put my emotions, my impulses, and my desires under control because that's the right thing for me to do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's a scripture that Paul, I appreciate this because you can sense uh, as he is wrestling himself, he tells us how to wrestle in this way as far as being disciplined. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll start reading in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And I, there's a, it's track season right now, so I get to watch a lot of track as my, both my kids run track. And I saw a lot of kids run yesterday to try to get the prize, um, given everything they could to try to get the prize. And Paul says, when we run for Christ, when we pursue Christ, run in the same way. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So people who won races would get a crown made of, of wreaths, like a wreath made out of, of plants, and uh, it wouldn't last forever. But the crown that we get is one that's going to last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. But Paul is sharing here, (laughs) part of loving what is good is deciding I'm going to be one that disciplines myself to do right, even when I don't want to, because that's the right thing to do, because I really genuinely, deeply love what is good. And here's another quality. Someone who is not a lover of money, not shamelessly greedy for money or fond of dishonest gain. That's the definition there. There's been a few times where I've sat down with someone and uh, I just get the impression that they don't really care about me at all, but they're trying to somehow get money out of me. That's really all the conversation is, and they will say whatever they need to in order to make a sale. You know, we can, uh, that can be pretty destructive. Um, but we can do that not just with, with money, but just with relationships in general, right? If 
I see you as just a means to an end. That's the same concept, something that can be really, really destructive. Because ultimately, we're just serving self. We're not loving what is good. We're loving just whatever I can get out of the situation, right? And that's, uh, that can be, uh, again, really destructive. It's not loving what is good. Here's another one. Loving what is good means being able to teach others the truth about God. Now, there's various ways to teach. I know that um, we have Bible classes, and there's some of us teach those Bible classes. Now, I spend time prepping throughout the week to preach here. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, that's, that's what we think of. That's where our mind goes to immediately when we think about teaching. But I know that some of the greatest lessons I've ever learned were with someone who just took an interest in me, walked side by side in life, and just talked about what it mean, means to be someone that loves God. Unofficial informal, but just shared life. Now, all of us can teach people and should be teaching others, right, in that way, is that we look around and say, what can I do to be a blessing to the person next to me and try to share the love of God with them? When we do that, what we're doing is we're loving what is good. Every one of us has that responsibility. Um, I think Chris did that, and I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute again. A part of teaching is, and it's shared uh, in both aspects of it here in First Timothy and Titus, is we're called to encourage people. You break that word down, is to give courage to people. Now, how many of you, uh, if we're being honest here, really lack courage to do the right thing sometimes? Yeah, all of us do. So we need people to walk alongside us and say, hey, just be courageous. Just do right. It's all good. You're not, you're not alone. I'm here for you. That type of encouragement makes a huge difference sometimes. And uh, I know there's been a few times in my life that I am convinced that God put the right person at the right time in the right place to give me encouragement that changed the course of my life. And I think if you think about for yourself, those type of situations have happened for you as well. God has placed those people to give you encouragement in the right time. The same is true on the other side. Is There's times for all of us that if we are not corrected by the people around us and we're not called higher spiritually, then we're going to grow crooked. Right? We're not going to make the great decisions that, is, that are going to lead us into um, to be what we're supposed to be. And so we need to have those people. How many of you can think of a time where someone had a courageous discussion with you that called you, that you hated at the time, but you were able to go back and say, yeah, I needed that, that made a difference? You think about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Very important uh, part of, of spiritual growth and just life in general. It's having people that are courageous enough to have those conversations with us to call us higher. That's part of what loving what is good is, is being willing to be an example for the people around us. Now, when we talk about foundations for spiritual living, uh, loving what is good. There's some qualities that we uh, I, I just walked through, and hopefully those are helpful. What my recommendation is is pick one of those this week and say, I'm going to dedicate some time praying and cultivating that particular quality in my life, whether it be um, whether it be uh, choosing to be upright, being holy, disciplined, not a lover of money, uh, being willing and able to teach others in whatever way I'm called to by God. Pick one of those and say, this is something I'm going to grow in this week. All of us do that. We're going to look different than we did this week. And God's going to, going to work in some good ways there. But I spent some time here this week thinking about 
what are some people or what are some examples that we can that I can talk about of people who love what is good? Because the world is full of people who don't love what is good, right? We don't have to go too far to look in Hollywood, to look in politics, to look in our valley, to see there's a lot of people who really are only about themselves and don't have a desire to love what is good. And it was really easy to come up and think about those, but I thought, I'm not going to spend time on that. I'm not going to spend time talking about headlines or people out there that really don't love what is good. But let's look at some examples of people that genuinely do love what is good to help us understand what this means. So, of course, I went to the movies first, and I thought, who are people, what are some movies and characters where someone really loves what is good and provides an example that calls all of us higher? How many of you have seen It's a Wonderful Life? I've talked about that movie before. Okay, Amazing movie. It always comes out at Christmas. In fact, when you flip the channels at Christmas, it's on all the time, right? The story is a story about a man named George Bailey who lives in a, in a town that, uh, uh, long story short, decisions are made, economy is such that he finds himself at the edge of bankruptcy. And he decides, goes down to the river and decides, am I going to throw myself into this river because I have tried to live in a way that I've tried to bless others and this is what I get because of all of it. And uh, George is one that is deeply human and and flawed in his own way. But something you cannot debate about when you watch that movie is George Bailey is one that loves what is good. And ultimately, he's willing to put aside what he wants personally for the good of his community, for the good of his family. And he finds out there's a lot of people around him that love him much more than he ever anticipated, and he's had much bigger impact than he ever realized because he really genuinely loved what is good. There's another one, when I Googled this, said, what's positive role models in movies? And I started picking down through them. One that came to mind, uh, one that came up, that I regret that I have not read this book or seen this movie. Uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. How many of you have read the book? Seen the movie? Partially, okay. Yeah, I know. There's a, if you're a sophomore, you're reading it right now. That's partly what brought it up, is my daughter's reading through this book right now, and we were talking about it the other day. But Atticus Finch is the character in this book who is placed in the 1960s, who is an attorney that uh, decides to uh, take on the case in defending an African-American man that is accused of terrible things. And uh, he does what is right no matter what anybody else around him says. And he's this character of moral fortitude in the middle of uh, disaster. What an amazing story. So I'm going to read that. That's the next book on my list. Uh, I think about the story of Beauty and the Beast. Belle, how many of you like Beauty and the Beast? Right? Yeah, that's an amazing story, isn't it? Belle is one that loves what is good in that movie. She's able to see past the surface and see the beauty underneath, right? She's, uh, she's one that loves what is good. Think about the Lord of the Rings, the story where the ring of power is found and they must take the ring to the Mount Doom and throw it in, the, in Mount Doom and, and destroy all evil on earth, right? I just ruined the movie if you haven't seen it. That's what happens. There's, what's that? Yeah, Nerdic Fest, that's right. Is that Nerdic Fest? They show that Nerdic Fest all the time. 
But Sam, the character of Sam in that movie that accompanies Frodo all the way through, he is one that is unselfish and he loves what is good. Day in, day out, through all these terrible circumstances, he loves what is good. Now, a recent movie that came out, the movie Safety, uh, I watched that the other night with my family. Uh, Let me see if I can pronounce his name right. Based on a true story, Ray McElrathby. Ray uh, went to Clemson University on scholarship as a safety on the football team. Tough things happened when he, uh, he got to school. His mom... Uh, got in trouble, ended up in a treatment center, had a history of drug abuse, and he had his little brother. His little brother didn't have a place to go. And so Roy, or Ray, excuse me, and some of the rest of the football players tried to <laughs> take his little brother in the dorm room and raise him and take care of him during football season. And it, it's, a, it's an amazing story. It's a great watch. And uh, Ray is one that you see in this movie He's trying to do what is good, putting his own future and many others in the football team, their future in jeopardy to try to do something that is right. And eventually the university comes around and finds a way to to get on board and try to all be a blessing in this situation. Think about the movie Star Wars. Okay, here we go, Nerdic Fest again, Don, right? Here we go, Star Wars. The the characters of Yoda, the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi are people that love what is good. They dedicate their lives trying to do something that is good. The movie Mulan, how many of you like Mulan? I love the story because Mulan is a young girl that um, when war breaks out in China, she uh, takes her dad's place and goes into battle simply for the reason that she's trying to do good because she loves what is good. The movie Pollyanna, thats uh, I remember seeing parts of that as a kid when I was strapped down to the couch and forced to watch, you know, yeah, Pollyanna, orphan that was adopted, that uh, she loves what is good. I think about uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America. He's one that, when we look at him, we think that's the best of who we are as a people, right? Because he loves what is good. Some of you, a little known fact if you don't know this, but Steve Rogers, Captain America, is Don Rogers' little brother. And so Don taught him how to do the moral aspect of things, and Steve had bigger, bigger muscles, so he got to be on TV and, and, or got to be Captain America. And Don, right? Is that, maybe I got the story wrong, something like that, right? All right, good. How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire, a movie that came out in 1981? Beautiful, amazing movie about Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell was a runner for England. And when the race finally came in the Olympics, they scheduled the race on Sunday morning. He said, I cannot run, because that's the day that I dedicate to God, and I can't run when my, my people are meeting. Amazing story. Uh, happened in, true story happened in the 1930s. Uh, Eric Liddell, what the movie doesn't share, is Eric Liddell, after he won his gold medal, he goes back to become a missionary to teach people about God contracts a disease and dies at a young age without regret, saying, at every step of life, I've loved what is good. I've wanted to do what was right. When we get to history, uh, outside of, and some of those stories that I shared there, some of those movies, are based on true stories. They're amazing, amazing stories. Now, there's a, when we get to, to politics, it's a lot harder to find that. It seems like 
somehow whenever people get into government, there uh, is a lot of corruption that happens. But I've read in the rec- just in the last year some different biographies, one of them on George Washington and one on Abraham Lincoln. And I'm convinced that both of those men, although deeply flawed, and they would be the first to say they're deeply flawed, were people that really genuinely believed in that they, they loved doing what was good. Now, George Washington, we have, uh, he's on our dollar bill. Uh, there's pictures of him all over the place. George Washington, when he was asked to lead the Continental Army, did not feel like a hero at the time. In fact, you read some of his letters that he wrote. Uh, he said things like, I wish that I would not have volunteered. I, would, I wish that I would have said no to uh, when I was asked to lead the Continental Army. I wish that I would not have done that because I don't see any way on earth that we can win. Now, he didn't say that out loud. He didn't say that where the troops could hear it. But there was a lot of time during the American Revolution that Washington said, I'm doing this because I think it's right, and I will not quit. But I don't believe we can win. I don't believe we're going to pull this off. I believe that I'll probably be executed at some point in time. I wish that I wouldn't have drugged my family into all this. I would love to go back to my wealthy estate and just stay there with my family. That's what I want. But since I took this on, I will not quit. He's one that loved what is good. Abraham Lincoln is a, is a bit of a different story. Abraham Lincoln very willingly uh, was, was a man of ambition. Uh, if, we, if we, you read history, what you see is that Abraham Lincoln was, was quite a politician, very much so. But he was one that he had a few things that he stood on, a lot of things that he didn't have an opinion on. And history, or the people, his contemporaries were really tough on him because they wanted him to draw lines where Abraham Lincoln refused to draw lines. But one thing for him that was a guiding principle that never, never left was left his, his leadership in his heart was, we as a people of the United States need to be united. And we need to find a way to be able to get on the same page here and not just divide and go off into all these separate countries. We've got to do this. We've got to pull this off. And no sacrifice is too great to bring us to unity. Abraham Lincoln, in his way, is one who loved what is good. When we get to the kingdom of God, it's a lot easier to find people that love what is good. I know that there's been a few people that I've read about uh, that were dedicated godly Christians that have definitely changed my life because of their own, uh, their own choices. I think about the missionary J.M. McCaleb or Sarah Andrews. Both of them were missionaries that went to Japan and shared the message of God with the, with the people there. J.M. McCaleb was a family man, uh, had a family and brought his family over there with him. Sarah Andrews was a single lady that never married, that spent her entire adult life in Japan teaching people about God. You look at those people, you listen to their stories of what they said, I will, I will leave the comfort of my home and my people and go somewhere else because people need to hear the message of God. Because ultimately, I want them to love what is good as well. Think about a, a lesson that I did last summer on Michael Faraday, very dedicated man of God who uh, was a physicist, a British physicist, very, very famous. Um, we have cell phones because we have a lot of things because of him. He did a lot of work with electromagneticism, phenomenal, phenomenal physicist. But more than anything else, he was a man who loved what was good. And his, his journal said, 
all of this that I'm able to study and discover, I'm just discovering the creation and the amazing wonders of God. It's beautiful. It's amazing. He was one that genuinely, deeply loved what is good. When we look around us, um, we can see, you know, I could go through name after name after name after name of this community here of people who love what is good. And let me talk about Chris Rangel here for just a minute. Um, I saw in Chris someone who loved what was good. Uh, there is, uh, when we send out flock notes, and Rob and I were talking about this yesterday, um, when we send out flock notes of prayers, here's someone that needs some prayer. Um, oftentimes, Chris would respond, and not everybody could see this, but Rob could see it and I could see it. And uh, Chris would respond with something like, done, or praying, or something like that. It was usually just one word, and sometimes it was misspelled. But he would respond, and we knew that he was praying, and he appreciated getting that message. Because in that area, Chris definitely loved what was good. I was, I'm always impressed with how Chris cared very deeply about people. There's oftentimes when, when I would get a call from him, or I'd, I'd catch up with him and we'd talk. He never called me Chris. I think he knew my name, but he never called me that. He'd either call me Crooks, Preacher Man, or Big Cat. Now, one of those three, that's, that's what he called me. And I appreciate yeah, I always enjoyed that because I wondered, okay, what's he going to call me this time? And I, I love it. But I know that Chris, in his heart, oftentimes in the conversations that we would have, somewhere deep, he would share that he was concerned about someone or he was praying for someone or I haven't seen somebody at assembly for a while. What's going on with them? What's happening? Should I give him a call? Yeah, Chris, give him a call. Give him a shout. See what's going on in their, in their life. I think they would appreciate hearing from you. I know that um, when... Uh, um, now, some of us went over and helped to put up some siding here a while back. Uh, he, uh, um, he told me beforehand, he said, Chris, I don't want to be no charity case. Oh, so that's not, that's not the case. And Chris, I've just watched you, Nancy, try to be a blessing to many, many others. And it just comes around. This is how it works. And I remember as we're putting up some of the siding, there was some tin that was putting up inside of the house. And and I had the drill, which is, when you get got a bunch of blue-collar guys around and I have the drill, something's already gone wrong, okay? But, okay, I've got the drill. And I remember he told me where to put these screws, and they were visible so you'd be able to see them. He said, Crooks, you remember, I'm going to think, if you don't put a straight line there, I'm going to think of you every time I come in my front door. You know, if you mess this up, you, if it doesn't go right, it's not going to be okay, right? Yeah. Kirk, I don't think we messed that up too bad, did we? It's crooked, man. Man! i got to go back and fix that now. That's not very good. But I saw in Chris um, someone who loved what was good. Now, Chris, if I said that here, and Chris was sitting here among us, you can't imagine the things that he's experiencing and seeing right now. But I know he would say, crooks, big cat, <laughs> making me out to be this guy that's perfect or something like that. I'm not. I know that. Chris would have, the first guy to, to admit to his shortcomings and his faults. But deep in all that, I saw Chris as someone who really genuinely loved what was good. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray that all of us can be people that genuinely walk through life 
deciding we're going to be people who love what is good. If you'd like to be a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. We'll go into the Lord's Supper and then we'll sing our way out here in the next little while.